Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, today we are continuing our series called Misinterpreted Verses, and I'll explain a little bit more about what we're doing if you haven't been with us. But today our verse is this one, so I want to put it up right away. John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What does that mean? I'm curious. Like, you, you read it. You, you look at it kind of first pass. It's like, oh, we, we can ask Jesus for anything, right? Like, we ask, and, and he's going to do it. That's, that's what it looks like it's saying. So, like, as I was thinking about this, this message, uh, I immediately ran to my own kids. So, I've got two boys, uh, nine and, and six, and um, they ask for things. If you're a parent, you know this. Like, parent, as a parent, kids are just going to come. They're going to ask for, for just about anything. So, you know, like, there was, there's these moments where they're wondering, oh, can I watch TV or, or, you know, can I do this? Well, recently, and, and I'm probably going to spin this in a little bit way because it's in my own mind and, and memory, but I remember our younger one came up to me, and, and he's like, Daddy... We have chocolate. Yeah, buddy, we do. Yeah, I, I like chocolate. Yes, I know. Do you want some? Yeah, I'd like some chocolate. <laughs> and you, like, you, you can imagine that, right? If you've got kids, they, they've asked, they're, they're kind of coming up, it's like, put on the little smile. It's like, I'm not going to ask, but I want it, you know? Like, that's, that's what kids do. Like, they, they want something, and so... Maybe some kids, they're like, I want chocolate, you know, and, and other kids are a little more, you know, like, oh, I want something. We ask for things. And kids ask for things. Like, we, we come with crust. We have desires. We, we, we want to go after some things. And so sometimes we ask, sometimes we don't. But is this verse telling us, like, if we go to God, I want chocolate, here's chocolate. Is, is, that, is that what this is saying? We're in this series called Misinterpreted Verses, and, and the title kind of gives it away, like, okay, maybe it's not meaning what I think it's going to say, but we're exploring different verses that as we read, we might think it means one thing, but really it's trying to point to something different. And, and this is one of those verses. This is one of those verses where we read it, it's like, okay, what, what is it actually trying to say here? Is it literally saying, like, I can ask for anything and he's going to give it to me? Or, or is there something else going on? And that's what we, we want to do, is we want to understand what is this verse pointing to. And so in this series, we're doing two things. Number one, we're, we're looking at each individual verse, and we're trying to understand what is it actually saying? Like, what is the meaning of this particular verse? Like, we want to walk away with a proper understanding. That's number one. But number two, along the way, we want to be gaining skills on how to read the Bible well. Because, like, we'll read a verse like that, and it's like, okay, is this what it really means or, or not? But how do I know? Like, how do I get to the place where I can detect when it might mean something different than maybe my default idea would be? Like, how do we learn to read the Bible? Well, that's our other objective. We want to do those two things as we walk through this series. And so today, we're going to look at John 14. 14. What is this actually pointing to? Is this saying we can ask anything? 
So what I want to do is to dive in, I want to understand what's this popular understanding? What's this understanding that could be out there on this first pass of like, what is this verse telling us? I want to kind of pick that apart before we dive into maybe like what's going on there in a deeper kind of way. So I think we can kind of quickly arrive at, at what's, what's the understanding we, we could have just by the first pass of it. Again, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And I think what we hear is we can ask for anything. Literally. Like asking, I want chocolate. I, I, I want a Ferrari. I want to go to Hawaii tomorrow. Like we could ask for anything, right? Like that is, that is the, the surface level reading. Like we could ask for anything your heart's desire. Whatever occurs to you, like you can ask for whatever comes across your mind. Could we ask for anything? Maybe, but maybe not, because like, hmm, I ask for things, but I don't get it. Well, what's the difference? Ah, maybe it's the next thing. Asking in his name. Ah, there's the key, right? If, If we ask in Jesus' name, then we'll get it. Well, what does that mean? Like, what, what do I have to do? A lot of times we pray, well, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayer. Ah, is that it? Like, is it, is it us saying, like, that phrase? Or, or putting Jesus' name on it, or, or slapping that label, like, ask in Jesus' name. Is that the key? Is that how we get to whatever it is we're asking for? Here's the mechanism, by asking in Jesus' name. Because then, the third part is, he's going to do it. He will do it. He must do it. That's what it seems like this verse is saying. Like, if we ask for something and we ask it in the right way, in Jesus' name, then he's going to do it. Like, he's going to come through. He's going to give us what we're asking for. Is that what this verse is saying? Now, you know I'm going to say no. But, like, how, how do we understand this? Like, what, what is this really about? I think... I think what it's building on is actually a really good idea. There, there's an idea that's embedded within this that is, that is true. And, and there's another place where Jesus is talking, and he, he actually kind of points to it. So Matthew 7, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's that famous teaching that he offers. He, he's sharing, like, Here, here's how I want you to live the Christian life, and he talks about asking. This is the famous, like, ask, seek, knock passage. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. That's where, that's where this is coming. So in Matthew 7, verse 9, he goes on right after that statement. And he says this. Which of you, if your son or daughter asks, asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right here, it's telling us, like, God is a good God. He's generous, and he wants to give us good gifts. So, like, looking at John 14, it's, it's building on this idea, like, God's a good God. He gives good things. If we ask, will we not get it? Like, Jesus himself is kind of pointing to that. He's like, you, you people who, who maybe don't always do the right thing, like, you give good gifts to your, your kids. How much more will God, who is good, do these kinds of things? Is this verse telling us that we could ask for anything and he's going to give it? Well, not quite. How do we know? Or what, what is this kind of undoing here? 
Because I think this idea is, is true, that God is a, is a good and giving kind of God. He's generous. But what's not quite right here? See, there's a, there's a passage. Uh, it's telling a story uh, in the, the book of Acts. And, and Paul, he's in, in Ephesus, and, and he's, he's wandering around, and he's sharing about the, the gospel message. And he comes to the city where he says, like, here, I want to show you who God is. And he's doing miraculous things. Well, then we get a story of, of these people who are watching Paul. The, these are Jewish people. They, they don't follow Jesus yet, but they do the same thing he does. They walk around and casting out demons. And, and so we get to this story where, where they're like, well, we want to do it like Paul. So I want you to look at verse, um, excuse me, Acts 19, verses 13 and following. We've got it up here on the screen. Here's this story of some people who are trying to do what Paul's doing. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now notice, they're using the same name. They're, they're saying, in Jesus' name, that Paul preaches, in his name, come out. Seven sons of Sevka, the Jewish high priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. So they're, they're trying to do this, and one day, he, the spirit re- replies, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. But who? Who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So what are we seeing here? I I share this story, and there's probably like, what's going on there and all this? The point I'm offering here is that they did the formula. They said, in Jesus' name. But they couldn't do it. You see, what's happening here is I think sometimes what happens for us, we think this operates a particular way. God is good and generous. But I think we also think this idea. God is a genie. God's a genie. Like if we just do the right thing in the right way, like he's going he's gonna to do what we ask. God's a genie. I'm curious, what's the genie that comes to mind when I say that word? Aladdin, right? Like that's the genie you think of, the genie in Aladdin. You know, and I actually real quick watched this clip again, just like when the genie shows up and all that happens. And, and sure enough, he, he, you know, he's hilarious. Robin Williams is awesome. Okay. But he's like making jokes and all that stuff. And he's like, you get three wishes and you're my master. He says that word. Aladdin's like, I'm, I'm your master. Remember, he's like a poor, impoverished kind of guy. Like, no, he's not a master of anybody. But here is this all-powerful genie. I'm your master. And there's some rules. Can't do this, this, or this. But then anything else. Fair game. All he has to do is rub that lamp, make a wish. I think this is the idea that we're walking in with when we read this verse. We're picturing God as a genie, like if we rub the lamp, if we just say the right words, recite the incantation, he's going to do what we ask him to do. But as we just saw in Acts, like that's actually not quite true. There's more to it. Than that. That's, that's the, what the Bible is pointing us to. But let me share you uh, another story in my own experience uh, that shows that this just isn't, isn't the case. Um, I've shared this before, but many of you may not remember or have not heard it before. My sister Kaylee passed away when she was young. Uh, she was 14 years old, 
and she died of leukemia back in 2011. And this, this was a, a, you know, just a rough period in, in our lives, obviously, uh, when she got sick. It was about a nine-month period from the time that she was diagnosed to the time that she passed. But we were, we were praying. We were asking, God, would you heal her? Would you heal her? Would you take this cancer away? Would she be restored and be able to go back to life as usual? Like, we asked for that. And we didn't get it. She passed away. She, she, she died, and that's not what we were hoping for. That's not what we were praying for. The story in Acts, my experience, I know you've got your own. You've asked for things, and it didn't happen. Now, you might say, like, oh, did I ask in the right way? Did I say in Jesus' name, or did I say in the wrong kind? Like, did I do it wrong? Is that how this works? I want to tell you no. Because God is not a genie. God is not a genie. It's not that we rub the lamp or we say the right thing and then he gives us what we ask for. It's not how this works. My sister died not because we didn't pray the right prayer. That's not how this works. It's, it's not a genie kind of relationship. God is not a genie. We don't say the magic words to get the thing that we want. That's not what John 14 is pointing us to. So what is it pointing us to? Or really, how do we get there? How do we understand what John is trying to help us see? So this is where I want to introduce the skill for today. And this is what I want to tell you. Like when we read the Bible, we want to read it in a particular way. We want to not read into the text. We want to read out of the text. What do I mean? That genie mindset. That's something we're all kind of walking around with. We, we've watched Aladdin. We've heard the fairy tales. Really, we've got this mindset that, like, I want to I see things happen the way that I want them to come out. And a genie gives me that. So I like that. That is something that we bring to bear when we read the text. We, this is an assumption. We're coming in with assumptions on how life works on how the world operates. Like, we're walking in with assumptions. And our tendency is to read those assumptions into the Bible. We'll, we'll see this verse, you know, this, this verse 14. It's like, if we ask whatever, oh, there it is. Like, yeah, he is a genie. He does whatever I ask, like he promises to. Right? We can read that into the text. Now, maybe you're not quite there. You're like, I know God's not a genie. But... We live in a world or live in a context where life works a certain way. As Americans, we have so much resource. Like capitalism, our economy, our, 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 the access to resources, like this is unheard of in history. Like we have so much that people didn't have before. Like the, the amount of poverty that still exists is still high, but we, we live in a very different world where it's just not as scarce or not as difficult to come across food. We go to the grocery store. I have not done anything to grow my own food. I just go buy it. Like the, the past, people had to grow their food. They had, to, they had to work for it. Like I work, but like I just go to the grocery store. Buy like the simplicity that we live in as Americans, like the resources, 
That shapes how we understand the world. We call this consumerism. Like we just think like we can get it all because it's all been right here. Our phones have the internet, access to all of the information in human history. Like we can get that in the palm of our hand. This affects how we view the world. This affects how we read the text. So I think we bring in this consumerist mindset. Like we, we're looking for stuff like, and we can get whatever we want because that's just the way life has worked for us. I think that's one aspect. I think another one is we're in the, the scientific age. Like a few hundred years ago, the scientific method was established and, and then science just boomed. And so the, the value of empirical data and objectivism, like we can see and understand the world. And so we take things very literally. We, we read and understand the world very on the surface, like it is what it is. Like you, we want very accurate historical accounts. We want videotape footage to know exactly what the truth is. Like these are all things that shape how we understand the world. So when we read a verse like this, we read it very literally. Ask for anything. He said anything. We read that very literally. So I think that's another assumption we're bringing. We're coming in with a very like empirical approach to life, very literal. I think we're also coming with this default mindset of I want to be in control. And I think that's the big one. I think when we, we see this verse, we hear like, oh, if we ask for anything, like, ooh, I get to be in control. I get to be the master. God's the genie. We read into the text our desire for control. Because as Americans, we have a lot of ability, a lot of capability, a lot of power to establish whatever ends we want. Like we have a lot of, of at our fingertips to make things happen. So that's given rise to self-determination. Very like individualistic and self-sufficient. Like I don't need anybody else because I can make whatever I need to happen. We want to be in control. That's, that's part of our mindset. We take all of this stuff and we can read it into the text. I'm simply calling our attention to this to say we, we want to be aware that we do this. We want to be aware that our tendency is to read into the text what we want to be there. We want to shift that away from reading into to reading out of or out from the text. So what we want to do is we want to see, okay, verse 14 says this, but what does it actually say? And we look for evidence that shows us that. That's why our first two skills the last two weeks were so helpful. We want to read in context. That means reading the verses before and after to know like what's happening in the conversation or in the story. You know, what, what do we see taking place? Because that's going to shape the meaning. What's happening in the events in history? You know, what are the kinds of things that they're thinking about, or, or how is that shaping what's being said? We want to take into account the context. And so that's why it is so valuable for us to take our time and go slow, read lots of what's around these verses. But remember, our tendency is to read into. So let's practice this like right now with, with John 14. We want to not read into the text, 
but we want to read out from the text. So if you're not already there, we're finally going to get to our chapter today. John chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 8 through 17. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn there, grab your phones, pull out John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 17. So this chapter is happening right before Jesus is going to die. He's, he's with his disciples, it's the night before, and he's essentially trying to tell them every last little bit that he wants to make sure that they know. But they're troubled by all this. Like, what he's saying, like, what he's starting to do, like, it's kind of, you know, freaking them out. And, and, and so he's like, don't be troubled. Let me give you what you need to know. And this is where he's like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Like, I'm going to take you to the Father. And they're like, how can we go there? We don't know the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That happens right before this. And they still don't quite get it. So Philip pipes up, and we get verse 8. So follow along if you would. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Now, pause there just for a second. What Jesus is talking about is his relationship to God the Father. He's like, we're we're connected. We're united. Like, I'm not doing this on my own apart from him. Like, the work that's happening, like, he's doing through me. He's talking about relationship. So just remember, that's the context of all this. It's relationship. Like, I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm connected to the Father. And so, pick up at verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or at least, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, what Jesus is referring to here is his ministry. Like, he's shown up. He's done miraculous things. He's taught, like he's been helping people come to understand what the kingdom is all about. And he's saying, all of that, that's evidence that God the Father is working through me. Like all of those works I'm doing on his behalf, I'm doing miraculous things to show like this is the way that he is. I'm teaching people so they understand who he is and I'm calling them to follow. And people are. You guys are an example, like these 12, yes. So all of those works are evidence that the Father and I are in relationship. So keep going, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So he's saying, like, the works that you've been seeing me do, you're going to do greater things. And I don't think he's just saying, like, you haven't seen anything yet, Like, he's been raising people from the dead. It doesn't get much better than that. I also don't think it's merely volume, though it will be because they're going to be around longer. He's only been here for a handful of years. Like, that's true. But I think what he's pointing to is about about what he's going to do next and how that will help them really, truly enter into some really cool stuff. People's hearts are going to be changed. Like, that's the greater stuff. Like, they've, they've been seeing signs, they've been moved by it, but now we're going to see true transformation from the inside out because of what I'm about to do. That's the greater stuff. These, and you're going to do that. 
you're going to see greater things than you've been seeing right here because I'm going to the Father. Then we get verse 13. And, whatever, and, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Then verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, camp here for just a second. Here we get our verse, verse 14, and 13 is kind of a, a, a repeat of it. It's like, whatever you ask, I'm going to do it. But notice what he adds there in verse 13. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, there he's, he's couching this a little bit to say, like, it's not just anything. It's so that the Father's going to be glorified. It's for the Father's glory that I do anything. There's purpose involved. Now, I want to come to this phrase in verse 14, in my name. It's like, okay, what does that mean? It's like, if we ask for anything, if we say in Jesus' name, is that the key? It's actually more deep than that. See, what he's pointing to here is something that they assumed back in their time that's not quite true for us anymore. Here's your historical context. When, when someone's name was given forth, it was not just an identifying marker. It's like, okay, we're talking about Bob here. Like, no, what it meant was this person's authority, their character, who they are, their identity is all being leveraged by their name. It's to say, like, when I say Jesus, I'm not just saying, like, a word. I'm actually bringing to mind and bringing to the situation authority, character, who he is. If you notice in the Bible, when someone's name is changed, it often occurs at significant moments. It's like, okay, Abram went to Abraham, and Jacob went to Israel. Like, these were moments where God was saying, I'm doing something new, and I'm giving you a new identity. You are now different because of what's happening. So someone's name carries their weight, carries their identity. So here, what Jesus is talking about is his character. When you ask for something according to who I am, according to my character, according to my purpose, why I'm here, that is when I will do it. So what he's saying here, it's like we've got to ask according to his character, according to his purpose. We've got to ask the way that he's prompting us to. His name is not just a word that magically transforms anything. Rather, it says, I'm with Jesus, and I'm going to do things the way he wants me to do them. That's what the name is invoking. It's not a magical incantation. I rub the, the lamp and I say, in Jesus' name. No, it's saying, I'm coming according to his purpose, according to his character. John actually makes this explicit in another place. In First John, a letter that he writes to some churches, he, he's talking about this very asking. So I want to go there real quick to John, First John, excuse me, chapter 5. He makes this as explicit as he can. In verse 13 in chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know you have eternal life. I'm writing about all this. I'm talking about this because I want you to know like you have eternal life. That's the goal. That's what all this is for. Then verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything 
according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John spells it out. It's according to his will. It's according to his character. What he prompts us to do, that's what he's going to do. And then verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we seek from him. Right here. It's according to his will. He is going to come through. So to maybe just clarify this, here's like the big idea that John 14, 14 is all about. We are to ask according to his character and for his sake. That's what this is all about. We're to ask according to his character and for his sake. It's not just anything. We can't ask for a Ferrari and, oh, okay, I don't want to give it, but here it goes because I have to. That's not the way God operates. He's not a genie. But rather, he is gracious and generous. And he does want to give us good things according to his will. And his will is the ministry that he's been doing. Again, he points back to, you're going to do greater things like all the stuff that you've been watching. You're going to take that to the next level. And it's all for my purpose of the kingdom and glorifying the Father. So we're to ask according to his character, according to what he is all about. And we're to ask according to his will. So what does that actually shake out to be? Because I'm, I'm curious if you've had some of these moments where you've asked for something but haven't gotten it. Have you had these moments where you're seeking something and it just didn't come to pass? What are those things for you? Let's come back to my sister. We prayed, God, heal her. Would you bring about restoration to her body? Would you save her from this cancer? Like we prayed that prayer and she died. I don't know why it had to be that way. And, and the tendency might be, it's like, oh, there's some kind of reason or some kind of purpose and that might be true. That's also not quite helpful. So just as a little aside, like maybe that's not the quickest thing you run to to say to someone. But what I can say is this. God is good. And he has done something. He has healed her. It's not the healing that I had envisioned. But she's healed. She is no longer suffering under cancer. She is redeemed. She's with him. And I can say that that, that is good. That is good. Because it didn't play out the way that I wanted to, the way that we asked, doesn't mean it's not good. Doesn't mean things aren't as they could or should be. It's maybe not what I expect. It's maybe not what I want. But God's still good. And you might have some things where you've been praying and, and things aren't going the way that you want or something happened, it's not what you wanted and you're like, it's my fault. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not that you didn't pray the right prayer. It's not that you didn't say in Jesus' name just right. I mean, if you want to get technical, like Jesus is not his name. That's the, the English derivative of a Latin name for him. His name is Yeshua. Like, we're not saying that. So we're saying it wrong, but it's not about that. <laughs> it's not about saying in Jesus' name. Rather, it's coming to him and saying, here's what I'm asking for, but your will be done. What's the best example of this? Jesus in the garden. 
Do you know that story? It's right before he gets arrested. He's praying. And he's, he is like feeling the anguish. And he's like, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, please take it. The cup did not pass from him. But he said, your will be done, not mine. We are to pray in Jesus' name according to his character, his purpose, his will. And we are to trust him that he is doing good and what's best for us. I don't always understand how that works. And sometimes things are just going to happen that are just blah. They're just bad. They're crappy. But he's good. And he can redeem. And he can bring good out of bad. Our call is to ask. It is to pray. But pray according to his character. So, Maybe to like give you some more concrete kinds of things, here's, here's just a couple takeaways of application for you. First, how do we read the Bible? Let's just simply, number one, be aware. Be aware that we're bringing assumptions. Like when we read the Bible, just, okay, wait a minute. I know that I'm going to make some assumptions. I don't know what those are. That's okay. Even the fact that we're just aware that we might have some just causes us to slow down just a little bit. Maybe not assume, like, oh, I understand this verse. I got it all figured out. Rather, if we say, I know I've got some assumptions. Let me just check that a little bit. Let me read a little more carefully, a little more slowly. And maybe we'll be able to see what some of those assumptions are. But even if you don't, that's okay. Just being aware that you have them is the starting place. So if you're still kind of trying to figure out how to read your Bible, like, just know, like, okay, I live in the 21st century, I live in America, I'm going to think some certain things. That, just naming that kind of thing is really, really helpful. Now, as you go, you're going to learn and unlearn some of your assumptions. So begin to note those. Like, begin to note what kind of eyes you're reading with. That's really, really helpful. We don't want to read into the text. We want to read, number two, out of it. So look for evidence in the text, humbly. If you think it means something, like, okay, where else does the Bible say this? In my little chunk here? In the rest of, like, whatever book I'm in or the whole Bible? Like, how do I continue to pay attention to where is there evidence to demonstrate the meaning that I think it is? We just, we take the time to learn over time. Now, again, you might be like, oh, man, how do I do that? It's a lifetime skill. So we just go slow. Take your time. Be okay with where you are, but always be growing in it. So be looking in your context, look for evidence that proves or demonstrates the meaning that you think it is. But back to our verse, here's the third one, ask discerningly. Ask. Go to the Lord. If you've got something you want, bring it to him. Like, oh, should I ask him or not? Bring it. Ask him. But ask discerningly. Like, okay, maybe this isn't something you're going to give me. Some of those are pretty clear. Like, I want a Ferrari. Well, it may not happen. Like, that's okay. Um, but if if you want a fright, ask. He may not give it to you, and that's okay. But there's sometimes where it's like, oh, you know what? I'm learning. I, sh- I don't think I need to ask for this. And don't. Like, if you feel prompted, the Lord's like, nope, you don't need to ask for that. Great. But ask. He's, he's calling us to ask. He wants us to come to him and ask, whatever it is. And maybe it's something that's good. You're convinced, like, oh, man, This is the kind of thing that God wants to do. Like, yes, I have a loved one who I want to be healed. Ask. I have someone that I know that they're not following Jesus yet. Ask. But all the while, number four, 
we surrender. Ultimately, we ask and we release. It's not about getting the thing. It's not about like making sure a particular outcome happens. That's the genie mentality. What we do is we come to him in relationship and we ask. But then we acknowledge, Lord, your will. What you choose, what you know to be best, I will trust you. I will trust that you are working in a particular way. And so he might say no. He may say, not yet. He say, may say, maybe, or you may not sense anything. Ask and surrender. That is really what John 14 is pointing us towards. It's easy to read it on the surface and say, like, oh, we can ask for anything. But when you dig down deeper, you look at the context, you look at what else is happening here, you begin to see, like, oh, there's a little more going on here. And so that, that is what we want to see. So, Again, summarizing this all together, we want to ask according to his character and for his sake. That's how we approach him. And he will come through for us in the way that is best for us. So, church family, ask according to his character and for his sake. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Thank you, God, so much that we can approach you. We can ask and you hear us. And Lord, even if things don't go how we expect, we pray, Father, that we would continue to be in a humble and surrendered posture. Lord, we do want to come to you. We have things that we want. We have things that we need. So help us to ask. Give us courage when we're uncertain, when we're tentative, when we're not sure if we can approach you. And God, give us humility when our, our boldness may be misplaced or our certainty is, is overriding us. God, I just pray that even in our asking that we meet with you with grace, with truth, you would show up for us, Lord, in the way that we need, not maybe the way that we want. So God, as we read the Bible, Help us to see through the eyes that you want us to see through. To not assume that we've got it all figured out, that we, we know best, but rather to continue to humbly learn how you work, who you are, the way that you are with us. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that we can ask. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.